0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 121 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Awareness, an interview with Monica from Ireland. My name is Richard Johannesson.
1: And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt,
0: this is an interesting podcast because we have a young woman who has been chronically ill for more than half her life, but the illness was triggered by a tick bite after she was participating in an awareness campaign. What I mean by that is before she went to visit her dad in Denmark, she was aware through a newspaper campaign that she should be checking herself with ticks she should be concerned about ticks, but she got bitten, had a rash, and didn't make a connection between the bite and Lyme disease.
1: Rich, what's really weird for me is that it's not only us here in America who have a hard time finding proper treatment for Lyme disease. Monica had to get treated in Ireland And now she's at the point where her doctors are telling her, there's nothing we can do to help you. And she's trying to find a doctor outside of her home country to properly treat her for Lyme disease.
0: Unfortunately, Matt, awareness is not enough. Meaning being aware of ticks and being aware of Lyme disease is simply not enough. You need to have enough information and education, and we have to be giving our children enough information and education so that they can protect themselves from ticks and Lyme disease. So Matt... Without further ado, I am excited to introduce Monica to the Take Boot Camp community. Hi, Monica, and welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Well, we're really blessed to have you, Monica. Can you share with our audience where you are calling in from today?
2: I'm coming from in Ireland.
0: Well, so- welcome. Welcome to a U.S.-based podcast. We're really blessed to have uh, some of the folks from uh, from the U.K. join us on our podcast, and we're really happy to have you today. So, Monica, can you share with us when you first started to show the symptoms of what you now know to be your Lyme disease?
2: I think like probably it's hard to think back now because it's been so many years. Um, I, always like, I always start off by saying like with my Lyme disease, it went eight years undiagnosed. And then so now since then, I think it's been like two or three years. So I've had it for 10 years. I think the symptoms really started when I um, started secondary school, like early on. I think that's like um, your middle school. You know, the school systems are very different um I think I really started off with kind of like the exhaustion the tiredness um constantly just being in bed not being able to get up even for school getting dressed for school would take me like an hour just because I was so tired and slow and I, my parents have to come in like god three or four times or something like that just to get me out of the bed then I think it was like in second year I was kind of more having mental health issues and stuff uh, dealing with a lot of depression. I was, I was pr- still very tired at that stage and that's when I started to get extremely tired. And I was out of school, like actually in the attend school for maybe three or four months, something along those lines that. It was actually towards the end of the year. Then I went back and I finished that year. And then third year is when I started to get really sick. So what was happening was in the, like during the day or something, I'd be sitting down and then I'd stand up from sitting and I'd suddenly get very dizzy and very faint and i just collapsed on the floor. and i was honestly So honest- how old
0: the- let's let's give a context to our listeners now. So how old are you now Monica? I'm 22. Okay. So let's walk back to the time when you first started showing symptoms and then walk back a little before that. So about how old were you? You said there was this 3 year window when they were your symptoms were developing. How old were you when you first started showing your symptoms?
2: From what i recall, i think it was definitely between the ages of 10 and 11. I I definitely have like blown brain. So my memory isn't as good as it used to be. Like I can remember when I got my bites and everything and I wasn't sick from it.
0: So let's talk about that. So let's, let's walk back before you started showing symptoms when you were around 10 or 11 years old. And what was your life like? Were you a healthy child? Were you an active child? What was your life like before you started to show these symptoms?
2: I was an extremely active child. I wouldn't even sleep at night. I didn't need sleep. Like I'd be running around, I'd go outside. I loved doing physical education. I climbed trees literally like my parents couldn't contain me. They wouldn't even give me a can of coke. That's how energetic I was because I got the coke, I get so hyper. Like I had a very full and active life and I loved like I loved being outside and everything. Didn't care for TV. Like I'd watch it in the mornings but full of energy. Like literally
0: full of energy. Okay, so then, now now Let's talk about what you knew about ticks and tick diseases at that time. Before you were bitten and before you started to show the symptoms of your tick disease, did you know anything about ticks and Lyme disease?
2: No, I didn't even know they existed.
0: Okay. Literally nothing. So now, Let's compare and contrast what your life was like before you started showing your symptoms and after your symptoms. Now, I'm assuming because you were very healthy and very active as a young person, you had a pretty active social life as well. Talk to us about what your educational experience was like before you got sick and what your social experiences were like before you had gotten sick.
2: Um, yeah, before I got sick, you know, I was like um as I said, like very active running around doing physical education. Used to run playing hide and seek or uh we games here like tip the can basically. So there was like a lamppost and you'd like run away and you'd try sneak past your friends and touch the lamppost and then you were safe. I'd be out till all hours playing about my friends, running around. Just I think like literally until it got dark outside, you know, and didn't bother me or anything. And then as I got like the bite and started getting more tired you know i was just i couldn't really go outside all i did was stay in my bed and watch tv watch things on my ipad it was like just because i was constantly tired and i wasn't feeling great and i just i couldn't go outside and be with my friends as much like they'd go out night like partying and stuff like that and i'd go about maybe four times a year they'd let's, be out much more
0: let's stay with the bite so when did you get your tick bite that then began to um Develop into the symptoms.
2: I think i I must have been about nine, so I was still in primary school. So this is like younger thing. It's about I think you start at like four and you finish around nine or ten. And I was visiting my dad, so my parents are separated, and uh, my dad had just got his new girlfriend, and she had a summer house off the island in Denmark because so, my parents are Danish. My dad is Danish, and I remember that year before I got bitten, there was actually like warnings in the newspapers there had been ticks and I remember just seeing like this huge splash page of like a black tick with like a red zigzag thing on its back and it was like a warning and I was like oh what's this and my dad was like right there's ticks about so whenever you go outside the grass check between your toes that's where they go so we went anyway on this holiday to the island we'll check between our toes I, I can't remember if I found anything between my toes but I think it was maybe halfway through the holiday of like the first week I'd gotten these really big bites on the back of my legs. So there were, there was only room for three bites. It was like on my calves. So it was like half the size of a tennis ball. Huge bites. And my dad just saw them. He was like, oh yeah, they're just horsefly bites. Here's an antihistamine. And they were so itchy and sore and like they're massive and they weren't going down. And I think I just like had to like bathe in cold water and stuff to try to bring down the swelling and the heat. And, you know, they were just giving me my my dad was just giving me antihistamines and stuff. And my mom will always say like, you know, if she'd seen me with like, bites like that, she would have rushed me to the hospital and stuff. But with like the kind of uh, culture over there in Denmark, it is very bit more relaxed and stuff. Whereas over here in Ireland, like parents are very, can be very protective and you know, they would really consider like, you know, seeing something like that, like you gotta go to the hospital. Whereas Denmark, it's like, here's some bug green, here's some antihistamine, you'll be fine. It's, it's a very different type of culture and community I found. So definitely very different reactions in regards to what happened then.
0: So let's, let's focus again on this tick bite. So you were at that moment aware of ticks because you saw something in a newspaper about ticks and your dad did suggest that you should be checking yourself for ticks. So even though you were aware and even though you were checking you didn't find the tick, but you did find what you now believe to be the remnants of a tick bite that resulted in you starting to get sick. So how long after the tick bite did you begin to show symptoms? Uh,
2: It definitely wasn't immediate. Um, It was kind of like actually around the time that I'd been given um, this injection. So in our school, you had to get injections for ovarian cancer. All the girls had to get it. And some people had actually gotten sick from getting those injections. Like some of my friends weren't even allowed to get them The second or third time around, because you'd get them three times once, like every year. And it was around the second time I got mine. So when I was in second year, that I really started to kind of show my symptoms. So that would have been between 11 and 12 for sure. So that's when the exhaustion really kicked in.
0: So you believe because you were now receiving the vaccination and your immune system was beginning to respond to that vaccination, that you no longer had the capacity to manage the tick disease that you were your body was managing up until that point. Is that
2: your conclusion? Yeah, that seems to, that's kind of the one that we've been going with. Um, My mom's best friend, her daughter is actually in a very similar situation to me. She got, we don't, I don't think she knows when she got her tick bite, but she was diagnosed with Lyme's disease too. And after she got her injection, she got as sick as I did. And we've actually kind of, mirrored our lives in the way that we've gotten sick Now she's had diff- very different symptoms whereas i get the dizziness and fainting she was unfortunately suffering from seizures and stuff so it is different but we've had similar things but yeah she's even thinking the same thing that when she got her injection that's when she started to get really sick too from the lyme disease
0: so monica you shared with us earlier that you were really tired uh you had trouble getting out of bed you had a lot of challenges with um with even going to school Can you talk to us how this impacted your social relationships, first with your family and then with your friends? So, in regards to
2: my family, at the time, my mom was engaged to this man that uh, dissolved so at the time, you yeah, know, it was just because I thought they were going to get married i just called him my stepdad A lot of the times when I was just getting sick he's just you know, he'd just say, "Oh, you're so lazy because I'd be stuck in bed the whole time and i, I was constantly getting sick and be like, "Oh not again, you're sick again like i I get sore trust that would put me out of school for over a month like it was really bad. I was picking up everything people had. And I remember, like, a lot of time if I was going to stay in my grandparents' house or stuff, like, my cousins would sneak into my room, my younger cousins, they wake me up and like, oh, you're always in bed, why do you never wake up? Oh, you're always asleep. So a lot of, a lot of comments were on my sleep and how tired I was and, oh, you should wake up, why aren't you waking up? Um, with my friends, when I started missing a lot of school, a lot of the times they're like, oh, why are you missing so much school? Why don't you come out more? Why don't you come stay in my house and stuff? But it's just, it, it wasn't something I was able for. And because I had no idea what I was what was going on, I was just saying, oh, you know, I'm just sick. I have the flu or just a cold or something. Because I'd get like a cold for six months. Like it would literally take me half a year just to get rid of a cold. And people were noticing I was getting sick and missing a lot of school. And um, Because I was so young at the time, I, I didn't know how to respond or how to deal with it. All I, I just thought of like common sickness illnesses people were having. And I was just saying, yep, this is what I have. I have this. I have that." like, you know, I wasn't really thinking too deeply about it. Like, I remember I used to get bone pains and my parents would be like, oh, yeah, those are growing pains because I'm quite tall. I'm five foot ten, just tall for a girl. I was like, oh, yeah, just things like that, really. So they were noticing, but they were thinking it was different reasons, like teenager. The only reason people thought I was sleeping so much was a teenager. Now, I knew my mom. She did have some suspicions that there was something going on, and we were constantly going to doctors and getting blood tests, but nothing was really turning up.
0: So let's talk about that. When did you first start going to doctors to deal with your developing symptoms?
2: From what I can recall, when the doctor visits really started to increase, was after I'd been on a school tour in France, We'd gone to Paris and I remember we were in Le Stade de France and I started to like shake violently. Like my legs were like, like tremoring basically. I couldn't stop shaking. And um, my teachers, like my temperature was changing and stuff. So my teacher was speaking to like the paramedics or the firemen on the site and they were like trying to read my blood pressure, but nothing was coming up. They actually couldn't find my blood pressure at all. And I'd gone, so I'd taken an ambulance to a hospital in France and stuff. And I think they'd noticed some issues with my blood pressure that when I was lying down, it was dropping. And then when I was sitting up, it was normal. And then if I'd stood up from like lying down, it was just falling very, very, very low. And so like we gave, yeah, you know, they gave the call to my mom saying that like, Oh, she's in hospital in France. And then my mother was panicking. And she started ringing like doctors in like at this hospital we have here in Ireland, it's called Crumlin. So this is a children's hospital. And it turns out I was actually meant to have an appointment there uh, a few months earlier, but I think it got lost or something. So from that point on, I started going to the hospital a lot. I'd been to a place like Mullingar Hospital in Cromlin. Uh, they were all doing the same thing. It was all tests of my heart. And um, it was after, I think, when we got to Crum- Mullingar. So I'd lie- I laid down. So they checked my pr- blood pressure when I was sitting. I was normal. And then they had me lay down, and then it dropped very low. And then they had me stand up, and it went even lower. And so they are like, okay, yeah, she definitely needs more tests. So they sent me back to Kremlin Hospital. And it was after that that they discovered I had postural hypertension. So it's a form of low blood pressure. They just said, oh, tall people, get it. Where it's basically if you sit down or lie down for too long, your blood pressure reaches a dangerously low level. And then as soon as you stand, you get really dizzy. And kind of after that, it started to get really bad. Like, I think the two worst times that ever happened was I remember – I'd been playing a game on the PlayStation tree and I got up and I felt kind of faint. Next thing you know, I somehow managed to get from my stairs, no, from my sitting room. And next thing you know, I was like flat on my stairs. I have no memory of how I got there. And then another incident was I was in the bathroom and I suddenly started to feel very faint. And then next thing I you know, my whole body was like shaking, like violently shaking and a really bad headache. I was like holding on to like a towel rack just to keep myself from falling. And the only other time that had happened to me was I was in my grandparents' house in Denmark and they had like a built-in kitchen bar type thing. And I remember i just gotten up from eating the dinner. And next thing I you know, I felt it happening. I was shaking and I was calling for them and they thought I was messing because they were laughing at me as I was shaking violently and getting really dizzy and the headaches, and no idea what was going on. And I was like, why were you laughing at me? I was calling for help. And they're like,
0: we thought you were just messing. So Monica, you had this experience where you had a tick bite and you identified that you were bitten by the tick. You started to show symptoms after you had your vaccination. Were the doctors connecting either the, the bite that you had received or the vaccination that you would receive to the symptoms that were developing?
2: No, because I didn't realize it was a tick bite. My dad just told me it was a horsefly bite. And this is what happens when you get bit by a horsefly. So So, I never even said anything to anyone.
0: Okay. So you weren't sharing the bite experience with any of your doctors. Yeah. What about the what about the vaccination experience? Because the symptoms started to develop after the vaccination. Were you talking with your doctors about the vaccination and that being the onset of the of the symptoms?
2: It wouldn't have been until about two years after I got the vaccination that we started to make the connection. As I said, with my mom's best friend, her niece was going through the same thing. And I think it was just as my mom had been talking to her friend that's when it started to click for her. There was something with this vaccination. I, I don't even think I was allowed to get it. In third year, I can't remember. It was so long ago for me. But after that, the next, the years following when I'd been to the hospital in France is when I started to get sicker and sicker. So when I was in transition year, I developed glandular fever, but I didn't know it glandular fever. So what had happened was I was going to a doctor in a different hospital. Uh, I was having pains in my fingers and I was, my fingers were locking. So my hand would literally be frozen in the shape of a claw. And it was like, uh, they called a trigger finger and it was a form of arthritis. And I had to get steroid injections into the joints of my hand. It was a really, <laughs> a really painful experience. And I remember, so the doctor there, he was actually very good. And he ordered so many blood tests for me because we, you know, have been telling him the other symptoms I've been having, how sick I've been. He'd actually ordered so many different blood tests. Uh, the, w- the lady who was actually drawing my blood had to look up the correct test tubes and the correct stickers because she'd never heard of some of these. Anyway, so they took the blood tests. They're like, oh, we well, uh, let your GP know that we've taken these bloods and so on. And uh, we rang the office. I think it must have been a busy day because we rang and a nurse answered the phone. And we we're like, oh, have she gotten the blood test back? And the nurse was like, yep, she's fine. They hung up the phone. And I was starting to get really sick. I had a really bad sore throat. And um, I was actually, I was sleeping so much. I was skipping breakfast because my dad had come over, my grandparents to see me. And the breakfast was at 9am. And I literally just, I'd skip breakfast till about 12am so I could get sleep. Because sleep was more important than eating to me. Mm. And a few weeks later, I was just, I was sleeping in the car as well. I wasn't even participating in the trips they'd go somewhere, I'd sleep for three hour car journeys and just sleep and sleep and sleep. That's all I was doing when they were there. It was all I was able for. And then I had a school, another school trip coming up and it was to this like activity center. And, um, I was pr- still pretty sick, but I think I was okay enough to go. And then when we came back, you know, went to the doctor, the main GP, and we were like, oh, you know, she's still sick. She all these issues with her throat. And he's like, oh yeah, that's because she's glandular fever. And we were like, wait, what? He was like, yeah, yeah, didn't even tell you. You've, you've had glandular fever for weeks. And, uh, what was dangerous was at this activity center, um, if you get glandular fever, fever, your spleen can rupture. And I was doing a lot of physical things that I shouldn't have been doing that could have literally caused my spleen to rupture because no one had told us. So for weeks, you know, I wasn't allowed, like, go near anyone to like, kiss any boys or anything, because it can be passed that way. And, at the same time, I was still having the issues with my hand, and I ended up in a splint for about, I think it was maybe three months. It actually had to be specially made and to fit my hand and stuff, to stop my fingers from locking after I'd gotten the steroid injections. So that was my whole summer. And then obviously I was still experiencing the exhaustion. I wasn't waking up. My friends, like my friend had just moved back from Canada, my best friend, and I, was, I think I saw her maybe four or five times summer because I just couldn't get out of the bed and go out and see her or anyone like they all had this energy to go outside and stuff and I I couldn't keep up with them and then after the year after that that's when I got meningitis that's when I got really really sick and the experience with that was horrible because I went into the hospital and we were like you know, I have this really blinding headache, sensitivity to light, every st- step I took was hurting my head. And they were like, oh, here's some Panadol, Paracetamol, just giving me basic painkillers. A Few hours later, they were like, oh, you might have meningitis. So they gave you like the antibiotics for both. I had to get a spinal tap that they did incorrectly, which led to me being even more sick. And I had to get a blood transfusion done on my spine. It was It was a complete disaster. I just remember the, they'd let an intern try and do the spinal tap and he kept putting the needle in my spine without numbing it properly and kept trying to drain the fluid and it was just excruciating it actually got so bad I was squeezing my own my mother's hand like her hand was actually bleeding from my nails digging into her that the nurse was like here you're just you're torturing the girl can the doctor just take over now and so that was when I was about 16 17 when I got in the meningitis and then the year after that I went to another doctor. Again, because these sore throats, they weren't letting up. They did loads of blood tests. And the doctor said, it might just be better to remove your tonsils. You're gonna need surgery. So this happened when I was in sixth year. And when you're in sixth year in Ireland, you're doing your leaving Cert, which is a very big exam. It's like your, it's the equivalent of your SATs. So this is the exam that you need to do really well and you need to get the points or you don't go to college. So while I was meant to be studying in college, I didn't, in secondary school, I didn't even intend my last year of secondary school. I missed from January all the way up until June because I was too sick to go in. I was too tired. I couldn't wake up. I was getting my sore throats. I was getting cold. I was picking up everything from anyone. And it was, it was getting to the stage of, I was just, I was so sick of being sick and in pain, seeing doctors, getting blood tests, not knowing what was going on, getting told I have this problem, a different problem, having surgery. And it just, it wasn't ending. It was like a continuous cycle and it was such a change.
0: Monica, were there any people in your life accusing you of just being lazy rather than being sick?
2: yeah my stepdad was the biggest accuser of that he would constantly say oh it was just so lazy or if i told him i wasn't feeling well he'd just scoff or make some noise it was just there was no belief for him or if i told my granny i was too tired to wake up she kind of like told me you know it was just a lot of people the, and sometimes like even my, my own mother she was fantastic through this but there were points where she would get fed up too Like everyone did get fed up at some stage that I couldn't wake up or if they'd showed up to the house, I'd sleep through it. Like I I wouldn't even wake up to let them in because I couldn't hear them. And there was people like, oh, why don't you move out from home? It's like, because if I leave home, I'm going to starve because I would much rather sleep than eat. It is way more important to me. I physically can't do anything. So yeah, there were a lot of people who were like, oh, you're being lazy. But there were some people who were like, this isn't normal. And the main person who did just think this wasn't normal was my mother. But my father, he did think I was lazy. My grandparents, my stepdad, everyone, pretty much.
0: Now, let's talk about all the doctors that you've seen now over the course of this window of time. You're about 17 years old at this stage in your story. And um, you're Education is now being impacted because you couldn't go to school for this very important year in your life. You're getting ready for exams, which will either allow you to go to university or prevent you from going to university. And of course, you're not feeling well. Did any of your doctors ever connect all of your symptoms? Because it sounds to me as you're describing your fatigue and your heart issues and your arthritic condition and, your, and, and the meningitis that this all seems to be traditional Elements of Lyme disease. Did any of the doctors tie all these symptoms together and suggest that perhaps you were uh, suffering from Lyme disease?
2: No. um, A lot of the doctors, what they attributed the arthritis to was I suffered from very severe psoriasis. My whole body was covered in it, like along the joints and stuff. So a lot of them were like, oh, it's psoriatic arthritis. So a lot of it would be determined to the arthritis because uh, psoriasis, because like sore throats are heavily linked to it. So that's what a lot of them were linking it to, the psoriasis. So, but no one had made the connection. When I did eventually get my Lyme diagnosis, the doctor who I was seeing, he literally, the best way he put it, and this is exactly what happened was, They weren't all, the doctors weren't coming together. They were putting a Band-Aid on one problem and then sending me to the next specialist to deal with the next problem. And then they just put the Band-Aid on and they were passing me along. And that's how I literally ended up with so many different doctors. They weren't talking to each other. They were just passing me on to the next one to deal with the, whatever issue I had at the time.
0: So how many doctors did you see before you finally got your Lyme disease diagnosis?
2: (laughs) try to count all these now um there must have been there was about three or four in the beacon hospital that I saw for different reasons there was one from Tullamore uh another tree from Mullingar, uh two from Crumlin uh one from St. James's maybe 15 doctors it's it is hard to remember them all but they were all specialists for different reasons like but predominantly it was mainly dealing with cardiologists. A lot of them were just checking my heart a lot. There was no issues with my heart. Um, yeah.
0: So you had in excess of 15 doctors before you finally found the doctor that properly diagnosed you. So talk to us about how you located the doctor who did give you your Lyme disease diagnosis. Uh,
2: so as I said, my mom's friend, her niece was going through the exact same thing. And like her, they didn't know what was going on. She was seizing, she was seeing specialists in different parts of Ireland and Cork and stuff. And I don't know whether it was a friend of my mom's best friend who said to her, I think your niece has Lyme disease. Go to this doctor, Dr. Lambert, who is the, he's the number one specialist in Ireland for this. And she did, and she got her tests. So what happens with Lyme disease testing in Ireland is it always comes up negative it'll never come up positive here the tests aren't sophisticated enough our doc the doctor explained it to us you just do it for the sake of it here and then you go to Italy, uh, germany so it was after she'd gone that my mom's best friend suggested you you should go see this this doctor so we got in and it was private with him so it was it was expensive and we'd already spent so much money i think there, there was one stage uh at, at the beacon hospital i think uh, the blood test cost about 1,800 euro, and they showed nothing. I, don't, I think we even had to call them to get the results back. They did so many blood tests, and there was, like, nothing wrong. I did not gotten a blood transfusion, uh, an iron transfusion, because I was so sick and had no energy. Now, that had actually done – that had actually really helped me with getting the, this iron transfusion. It did actually give me energy for a little bit, and we'd actually done it just before I was about to do my exams. So the timing of that was actually quite lucky, but, um, so it was around that time. So I'd gone to college. I remember this, this, like, I just, I'd passed my exams. I got enough points to get into this course and first week of the course, the flu, this is cold season, flu season. So I got it immediately, could barely attend my first week of college. And because no one knew that I was sick, I had to walk to the bus. That was literally 30 minutes from my house. So this was killing me. This was ringing out my exhaustion. I'd be covered in sweat. I was, it felt terrible. And it was getting to the point that it was actually making me hate this course that I was doing. It was a science course. And I lasted a month in the course. And I was like, I can't do this. I feel too sick. I want to drop out. And then This was where my mother was like, no, 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 don't drop out. Like do the course. I was like, I can barely make it to one class. This is a very full on course you're in every day of the week. It's nine to six. Like it was very, very hard to do. And I wasn't surviving it. I was like, I was leaving early when I could just to go home and go to bed.
0: Now this was before your Lyme diagnosis, correct? Yeah. Just before the Lyme diagnosis. Okay.
2: So this would have been about 2016, early 2016, September, 2016 so i dropped out of the course and i took the year out and i started applying to do what is now my current course so this is in 2017 and so this is when my mom and her friend started talking and it was just before i was going on a holiday with my boyfriend to england and what was interesting was so i got my blood tests done for the lyme disease with this doctor he said they came back negative so we had to go get extra blood tests done put them on a flight off to germany and then like a few days later i was flying to england and I remember I was with my boyfriend and he was kind of giving off to me that I was so tired and that I didn't want to go out at night, you know, go drinking, have some fun. Like I just, I wanted to stay in the hotel room and sleep. That's all I was able for. And then we came back, I think it was about four days later, and I got an email and it said that the bloods had come back and I had been diagnosed with Lyme disease. So this was the summer of 2017, end of July early. August, and I remember just getting that diagnosis, and I was—it's—it's going to sound so weird, but it was a relief. It was an absolute relief because I remember saying to literally everyone I talked to, they were so confused by this statement. But I was literally saying to them, "I hope it's Lyme's disease. I actually hope it is Lyme's disease, so I can finally know what is going on with me because I literally feel crazy. It was getting to the point that I was ready to give up on living because I wasn't—I wasn't living." I literally felt like I was 18, I think I was 18 by this stage, an 18-year-old girl trapped in a 90-year-old woman's body. I was in pain. My bones hurt. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't go see my friends. I couldn't go to college. I couldn't party with them. I couldn't do anything. And it just, it wasn't living. I I used to go horse riding, and I loved horse riding. I loved being active. I loved doing volleyball, everything. And I couldn't do it anymore. It was It was too much, like the energy I'd even need to go out to the cinema would kill me. It would take me three hours just to shower and do my makeup and hair to go out with my friends. And it just, it wasn't reasonable. It was much better to stay in bed, not leave the house, and sleep till about one or two o'clock in the day.
0: So you were hoping to get a Lyme diagnosis because you were hoping to finally have something to define all of your symptoms yeah. and hopefully move forward and 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 begin to heal exactly. so now let's talk about two things first um the test that you took was that from arm land labs yeah it was Armin labs okay and now after you got this diagnosis did you try to now describe to everyone who you thought you were disappointing why you were suffering from fatigue and why you couldn't go out and why you couldn't be the girlfriend you wanted to be Did did you start to do those kinds of things? And was that helpful?
2: Yeah, it was, it was very helpful because like, even like before my diagnosis, I didn't know Lyme's disease even existed. I'd never heard about it. And it seems when I got my diagnosis was actually when it started to get popular in Ireland, like people were actually going on TV, like newspaper interviews. This is when everyone started to understand this was something real Because, like, as my doctor explained to me when I first met him, when I told him my symptoms, he was like, yep, Lyme's disease, these people, they're not talking to each other. He was like, you know, he's saying he still has arguments with doctors about it being real. Like, they just don't believe him. And it was just, like, finally. And I remember when I told my boyfriend, I was like, yeah, I have Lyme's disease. And I was like, you were giving off to me for being too tired to get out of the hotel room. And he was like, I am so Sorry. And like, as soon as there was a name to what was going on, people were a whole lot more understanding and they were a whole lot more apologetic. And I kind of like, I opened up more about what had been going on. Like, no one knew about the bone pains I'd been experiencing, like, especially my collarbone and stuff, because I wasn't even sure if I was like, I thought it was crazy, you know, like having been so sick, so continuously for so long, experiencing so many issues and no one knowing, like what was happening, you know, you just, you felt crazy, because some people, like, I go into doctor's office, and I tell them my symptoms, and I could, I could see a look in their face, like, really, or as like, a typical teenager thing, you know, I could just, I could see there was judgment there, and that really felt, like, it it really bothered me, and it would upset me, and this is what kind of felt maybe retreat, and not open up as much with them, because I was just so scared, and then I was also sick, like, I have to, I'd meet one doctor, I'd tell them everything i had been true, and then I'd go to the next doctor and I'd have to talk over and over and over and over and try and remember everything i had been true. And it literally got to the stage where we'd go into the doctors and be like, okay, so what's wrong with you? And I'd look at my mother and I just like, you tell them. I actually like, I couldn't, I couldn't physically talk to them anymore. I was so sick of doing it. I was so tired. I was just exhausted. I couldn't even tell them my own symptoms. Like, it was easier for me to just get my mother, to because it's like, you remember better than I do. Like, I was experiencing it, but I was also having the memory issues. And I was like, you do it. You've lived with me through this, so you do it.
1: So, Madhika, when you got your diagnosis with this doctor, was this a regular general practitioner, or was this a specialist that diagnosed you with Lyme disease?
2: Um, He was – he's a specialist, so he is head of, like – um. So like the CDC almost type thing we have here in Ireland. So he deals with infectious diseases, like he's top of his field. So he is a specialist in dealing with Lyme cases.
1: So after being sick for almost or over eight years, you had to see one of the top specialists in your country to get a proper diagnosis.
2: Yeah, even his tests couldn't do it. We still had to outsource them to Armin Labs because there's just, Ireland isn't capable of diagnosing it. From, well, from when I was tested, it's not, I don't know if it's changed since then, but in about 2017, 2018, 2017, Ireland could not do it. We were not, like, we didn't have the tests. So all
1: Monica, went to let's, Germany. Let's talk more about that. So before you got your test at Armin Labs from the specialist in Ireland who ordered that blood test, you mentioned you have taken other tests that cost you a lot of money out of pocket. So were any of the tests you got prior to the Armin Labs test covered by health insurance in Ireland?
2: No, the only the only good thing about my health insurance was when I got my meningitis and when I got my tonsils removed, was that I went to better hospitals and I was given a private room. But they wouldn't. They covered so, the expenses of medications, but not the blood tests. Blood tests were always out of pocket unless I went to a public hospital. But the problems with going to the public hospital is three-year waiting list. Literally, it would take. It took three years to get to some of them before they would finally give us an appointment. Like I, I'm still having issues with arthritis and I've been given an, I've been trying to get an appointment with this hospital that deals with my psoriasis issues uh, for years. They finally gave me one and it's not till September, 2021. Like it's an insane wait list here.
1: So if you, if you wanted to get immediate help, you have to go outside of the public healthcare system and pay out of pocket for private healthcare it sounds like in Ireland.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. If you want to wait on the public system, you are in so much trouble. I have a friend and she's like had an injured knee and she has been waiting six years to get an MRI scan on her knee. Like any MRIs or anything I've had, it's always had to be private. And this had put my mother in a serious, very serious financial strain that she's had to borrow from family members. All because for years we were trying to find the source of what was making me so sick and what was making me so tired because nothing was adding up and no one had any answers and through all that like it cost so much money just mainly on the blood tests it was the blood tests that really took a lot of money you know it was a couple hundred couple thousand and they were turning up nothing absolutely nothing and then they were putting me on fancy medication I was going on antibiotics I had the GP visits the only good thing was because of all these medical expenses, I was given a medical card so I could see my GP for free and I was getting medication cheaper than what I had been, but it was still very expensive and your best option was private. If I hadn't gone private for like a lot of my issues, I I'd probably still wouldn't know what is going on today.
1: So you believe that if you remained within the public healthcare system of Ireland, you still would not have a Lyme disease diagnosis?
2: Definitely not. No, I would, I would probably be in bed right now and would not be talking to you guys or know what is going on with me. I would just, I probably would have given up by that stage too, because I was getting pretty sick of it by the time I was 17. Like I just, I wasn't living a life. I really, I didn't have a life.
1: So Monica, well, before we get into your treatment, if you had to think back to your, your journey pre-diagnosis, what is one thing that you can think of that maybe would have helped expedite your journey or helped you with some of your symptoms that you can share with other people listening to this podcast?
2: I think for me, the biggest thing that really helped me with my energy before my diagnosis when I was getting sick was the, like the iron transfusion. It, it made me feel like a new person. It was kind of like replacing batteries or something. It, it, it gave me a short run, but it really, really did help me out for a while so I definitely think like finding and then start taking iron supplements, actually, but because <laughs> I'm an awkward person, I'm intolerant to the tablets. So I have to take iron in liquid form, but definitely found that like iron, getting iron really helped with energy. So if anyone's like feeling low in their energy, see if you can get iron supplements or a blood like an iron transfusion, because it really, it, it does wonders. Like... It's, it's crazy just thinking back to it, the change it made. like I remember when I got it, we were like, oh my god, maybe she's just anemic. Maybe this has been the issue this whole time. She was just anemic. I mean, look at her, she's kind of normal now. And then it, it eventually weared off and it went back to kind of a square one stage.
1: So When, when you got your diagnosis, you mentioned that it sort of validated your, your illness with your dad and your boyfriend and many people in your family who were sort of doubting that you were really sick. So that was a a real positive in your life, but did you realize the long journey you had ahead of you and how hard it is to heal from late stage Lyme disease?
2: No, so when I got the diagnosis like that weekend, it was like, even my mother was relieved. It was like, oh my God, we know what's wrong with her now. And I remember she went ringing everyone in the family and was like, she has Lyme disease. There is something wrong with her. She has been this sick for so many years. Or like, oh, this is great. Now we know, oh, we're gonna get our treatment, fantastic then we went to the back to the doctor so he could get the prescriptions ready and he was like you can't go back to college he's like i don't think you should go back to college and i remember he was like you're going to get very very sick before you get very better you're going to even get worse from this medication that i'm about to give you and at the time like i was still designing designing like, like figuring out what college course i wanted to do and we'd been visiting this uh specialist um she was like a guidance counselor almost type thing. And I think she had some sort of idea with awareness because she was actually the one who told me like, defer my place when I got my course. She's like, don't go to college this year. Once you start your Lyme disease treatment, even she knew I was gonna get very sick. I was kind of surprised she knew and she was right because once I'd started my treatment, I started the herxing period and I was so sick. I was like, I was nauseous. I was in pain. I, I remember I was in tears. I was actually like begging my mother to like, stop giving me this medication. Like, tell, like let me stop taking it. It was actually way worse than living with the Lyme's disease. I was in bed till three or four and I didn't realize it was going to be this bad. And I was really sick up until Christmas. So this was about 2018 2017 it's 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 very hard to remember the years at this point they they're kind of blurred together so i had no idea that i was going to get very sick when i was in the stage of happiness of ah okay we can put a name to this then we went to the doctor and he explained yeah you're going to be so sick and then it happened and it was awful it was it was excruciating going through the herxing with the medication and then once i'd finished the medication I was like, I was still taking my probiotics and stuff because he said I needed this to balance it and to stop me getting different infections and to make sure that like the antibiotics didn't kill my body essentially. So we need to kind of balance it out. And I, you know, I've, I've stayed on them still. And I remember like once I finished the course, I started to feel better and it was, it was crazy. So I was here, I was my year out. I started going to the gym in January and I was losing weight because i gained a lot of weight and it, Actually, turns out I have an underactive thyroid. This was only recently diagnosed. And uh, so I, started, I was able to go to the gym. I was waking up at 7 a.m. I was like, oh, my God, I have a life now. I'm a new person. I'm going to be ready to go back to college. And then so my doctor, he started me again on the antibiotics because I had to take the break to let my body kind of rejuvenate if I kind of kept going on. And he said I could get even sicker. So I took my break then I went back on my medication got very sick went through the herx thing again and I started first year of college I was studying psychology and it was fine I was good I was I was I was surviving and then I was taking off my medication in September and I crashed I was doing like maybe the first two months of college September October And then I crashed and I got so sick and I got so tired. I was like back to square one. And I was like, I can't believe he took my medication again. I want, I want the medication back. Like it made me feel better. And then, so I was in first year college and I took my, So I finished my break and we got in contact with my doctor and he put me back on the medication around February. But there were other things going on in my life at the time. My father had been diagnosed with cancer and this was, like, a very emotional time. So I was still tired and stuff. I was kind of screaming through college. Then I got put back on the medication, went through the herxing again, and I was even sicker. I was horrible trying to, like, get ready for exams, do essays. I, I actually, what I did was in February, I kind of, I knew I knew I was going to be sick. So I got kind of lucky with one of my lecturers. He'd actually put up the work for that semester, literally in the first week of college, and I did it in a month. So I didn't have to attend another one of their classes because I couldn't go to the 9 a.m. lectures. It was too much. It was like, it was way too exhausting. So I literally would find ways to get the work done in college so early so I could skip lectures, so I could sleep. Because I just, I wasn't really surviving college by that stage again, the tiredness would come back to me. I wasn't going to lunch with my friends, my mother would actually have to park her car. Luckily, she actually got a job, like her work is right beside my college. She would have to park her car somewhere so I could go sit in the car in between classes just to rejuvenate. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't survive college but I was lucky the fact that we had gotten the diagnosis because the college did put in some supports for me. They paid for a taxi. So I wouldn't have to walk to school, to college, to the bus stop to get there. So that was like the main thing I was getting transport with the college. So that was like a really big help because I wouldn't have been able to lift the books or anything, but it was really, really hard. And then, so that was like, summer first year and then unfortunately Monica, real right.
1: quick just gonna yeah. interrupt real quick so I just want to make sure we have a, a good summary of what you've just outlined so you were on antibiotics for a few months with supplements and vitamins to help sort of balance the damage being done by the antibiotics you had a severe herx reaction but then you got better when you stopped yeah. the medication right and then you, you then this cycle so, sort of started where you'd get better you'd start up your treatment again and you get really sick and then yeah. and then um, and herx but then you feel better And you go off your medication and then you would get sick again. And then you go back on your medication. So this seems like a cycle you had for about a year. Is that, is that a correct assessment of that one year post diagnosis?
2: Yeah, it was kind of like, it was a year to two years. So yeah, that's what happened. So I go on the medication. I'd hurt. It would literally affect my life so much. It was like my college work. I get better when I come off the medication and then I'd lost a little bit and then a crash. So the, the symptoms would come back, then got put back on the medication. Then the herxing started again. So yeah, it was a cycle that went
1: on for about two years. So, And do you think that now when, you're, when your father got ill, uh, that, that stress certainly probably had an impact on your health, most likely. So did that make you feel worse when, you start, when your father started to have his health issues?
2: Yeah, because uh, when he started to have the health issues, when I went through that herxing period again, it was definitely... It was, I nearly compared to my very first herxing experience when I went on the medication for the first time. So that stress really, it had an impact and it got worse Um, because around in June, I just finished my exams and then my father passed away and thank you. It made it worse because his girlfriend decided to terrorize me. And she made it her mission. She was sending me horrible text messages, threatening me, telling me I'd never see him again, everything. And so that made me so stressed and sick. And then we went back to the doctor and he was like, if this doesn't work, this treatment, there's nothing I can do for you. Like this is kind of it. And so I went on the treatment one last time before, so I started second year. So this was like just the year gone. And I did the treatment. I survived most of semester one, went off the medication, crashed again, right up to Christmas. It's always Christmas, I seem to kind of go downhill. And then coronavirus happened. And this is like, this is a concerning time because I had to cocoon. So I wasn't allowed to leave my house. They like, if, because of the compromised immune system with the Lyme's disease. But I was also, I'm also on in injections for the psoriasis. And it's called Stelara, and it's an immunosuppressant one. And because of that as well, I couldn't go outside. So even though like for a lot of people, this whole thing or deal with the coronavirus has been so hard for them, because I've been so sick for so long, I'm used to being inside, it it didn't bother me. And when college became online, it actually, it was good timing because I wouldn't have survived my final semester of second year. Like I probably would have failed. I wouldn't have been able to attend college. I was barely able to attend college when we got back. I missed the very first week back of the second semester. I was getting sick again. I was too tired. I was just ringing my mother and I was telling her, "Don't book the taxi for me. I'm too tired. I can't go in. I can't do this." Like it was it was it's a hard and a horrible situation that obviously happened, but the timing it benefited me in a way with college that it became online and I was able to do it online. Monica, and that few, really helped. A few,
1: a few follow-up questions. Do you recall any of the antibiotics that you were on with this treatment? It sounds like you were on the same combination of antibiotics with supplements on and off for about two years. So do you recall the type of antibiotics that you were on?
2: uh unfortunately no um are they still on that survey i sent you i honestly i i just take the medication now i'm on so much medication for so many different things that i just i take it i don't even look at the label it's The I'm doctor probably
1: i'll probably butcher the names but i believe they were ceftal and refiden mm-hmm. uh, if, if that yeah, sounds Rifidin. familiar yeah, Rifidin, okay yeah. that uh, was the uh, right one. Our, our new york accents butcher everything i apologize <laughs> no worries <laughs> So now I just, and again, just to clarify something else. So around December of this past year of, of 2019, did your doctor just give up on you and say, this isn't working. It's been two years. I can't help you anymore. Is that essentially what occurred?
2: That, that's what occurred in the summer, just after my father had passed. So It was really unfortunate timing to hear that. I, I can still remember him saying that. Um, what was unfortunate with my father passing was uh we had a complicated relationship and we were struggling financially up until the point that he passed. And I remember then we learned he was actually making a lot of money and because I was his only child, I inherited it all. And in, in a way that was like a sort of blessing because that really helped me gain a lot of supports. And since now that my doctor has like said to me that he can't help me and I haven't been able to get new treatment or anything, I'm gonna probably have to go to Germany for treatment, I've known, I've heard of people who've gone there and it's been successful for them. Like my mom's best friend, her niece, she went to Germany and she is better. She is living a real life now. My cousin's friend, she was also diagnosed with Lyme disease. She went to Germany. My cousin says she's like a new person. She gets to actually have a normal life. So, yeah, it was kind of in the summer that I was told, This is it. Like, if I can't do, if this doesn't work, I can't do anything else for you because. I don't think my that my doctor, he wanted me to be on those antibiotics for the rest of my life. Like, it's not healthy. Like, even the medication I'm on now, my doctors have told me, like, like, some doctors actually asked me why I was put on this medication. This is dangerous. This is given to people for epilepsy. You shouldn't be on this medication. And it's just because of the medication I've been on for so long that I need to live. Like, it's, it's risky to keep me on. Like, I'm on this tablet. It's called... Um, um, not the tongue, that's for the sleep. Sorry, sore, sore enough. This is for my low blood pressure. It's actually such a rare medication that whenever I have a hospital stay, they have to specially order, order it in for me because if I don't get my floor enough I'm going to end up collapsed on the ground. I need it to maintain the blood pressure levels. Or the low sac because I have problems with acid reflux in my stomach. The uh, sphincter muscle above it is loose, so anytime it just it comes back up, it's it's horrible, the burning sensation. I, I'm on sleeping pills I can't sleep I suffer from terrible insomnia and I need to get a new prescription for my melatonin because as soon as that runs out I'm in trouble and what's been interesting since I've gotten the Lyme disease diagnosis was I also got diagnosed for an underactive thyroid and when I went to meet that doctor he actually was like yeah, some people just think they have Lyme disease, but it's actually an underactive thyroid. I don't think you have Lyme disease. And then we were like, well, actually, no, no, we got blood tests. She tested positive for Borrelia. And then he was like, oh, okay, yeah, well, then you definitely have Lyme disease. But he was, like, talking about how a lot of people have been mixing up Lyme disease with, like, an underactive thyroid. And it's been, it's been a confusing journey trying to deal with everything.
1: Well, Monica, it's important to note that Lyme will mess with your hormones and can have an impact on your thyroid. So that's an important note. But a follow-up question, you mentioned that you're on an immunosuppressant for your psoriasis, but that sort of contradicts the treatment that you would require for Lyme disease because Lyme also suppresses and sort of damages your immune system. So have any of your doctors spoken to you about that the treatment for your psoriasis may actually be making your Lyme disease worse?
2: Yeah, my uh, specialist, he did talk about that a little bit, uh, but I haven't heard a lot on it. The only thing, the conflicting thing is uh, my Lyme disease doctor, he doesn't want me to get the flu vaccine because he said I'll get sick on it. But then my psoriasis doctor says, I have to get the flu vaccine or I'm going to get sick. So because there is so much debate, it's kind of, it's hard to know what's really going on, what's to de- like, it, it, it's really a gray area for me. I haven't really been discussed with it much from my doctors. But what I, was happening was when I was, ha- when I was having psoriasis, like, very severe psoriasis, it was a very horrible time in my life. And I remember I was so, so self-conscious. Like, I'm here right now. Like, I don't have sleeves on when I had this psoriasis, I would wear a leather jacket in 30 degree heat because that was much better than having people see it. And it's just, I would rather keep my injections than like go off them for the sake of the Lyme disease. Because like, I find I am managing a bit better now with some new treatment I've been doing. So after I'd gotten told by the doctor, there wasn't much he could do. We went to a medical herbalist. And the stuff she put me on, at first, it didn't really work. But over the last few months, I've actually seen a huge, huge improvement since I've been on it. Because we actually, we weren't able to actually source some of the stuff my doctor asked me to go on. Like the Japanese knotweed. He'd um, originally wanted me to go on that and we couldn't find it anywhere. And then we got to this medical herbalist and she got me an extremely concentrated form of it and since i 've been on her like her her herbs and stuff and reduced what the doctor had originally given me and replaced it with better one, like different versions of it it 's definitely made a bigger impact beyond these vitamins and probiotics and stuff
1: so Monica did so you, you sort of weaned off the supplements that you were on with your main doctor who was giving you the antibiotics and you transitioned into an herbal protocol by this new herbalist that you were seeing, and you think that that has helped you the most in your Lyme journey so far, it sounds like.
2: Yeah. I feel like since I've been on like her medication and taking, I've noticed lately, actually in the last few weeks, I was still pretty tired up until a few weeks ago. And I actually, I've managed to increase the dosage. I was supposed to be on her from her recommendation. I was supposed to be on nine tablets of Japanese, knotweed a day, but at the start, I could only actually take two because it wasn't agreeing with me. It was actually making my stomach very sick and upset And the last few weeks, I've actually been taking five tablets of these, and Chumeric, and I have successfully, for three weeks, for the first time since I was about eight, been able to wake up at 8 a.m. and stay functioning till about 10 o'clock at night, and then I can go to sleep, and I can actually go to sleep at 10 o'clock, which is, it might sound small to some people, but to me, it's a miracle, because when I was really sick, I was up till 6 a.m., and then I'd Um, sleep till five, like I couldn't sleep.
1: I totally understand that, that is, that's amazing, the fact that this is helping you that much. So is would you agree that if you had to provide advice to somebody who just got diagnosed with Lyme disease, that you would recommend they consider some sort of herbal protocol, either in addition to or in lieu of an antibiotic treatment?
2: Yeah, definitely. Like, when before I remember when my mom told me I was going to a medical herbalist, I was one of those people who was like, eh, "No, that, that that. That's not gonna work. That's not for me." But in hindsight, too, at all, it it has made a huge, huge impact. And like the things herbs and vitamins can do to improve your Lyme disease treatment or help you along with it, it's 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 unbelievable. So yeah, I would I would one hundred percent recommend if you've just gotten Lyme disease like, diagnosis, seek out a medical herbalist or something, someone like that who can, like, definitely who is, who is trained properly and can help you put you on the right path and definitely has, like, experience in dealing with Lyme disease. Like, when, as I was saying, like, when I'd just gone through my first treatment, I, like, went to the gym for the first time and successfully, we'd actually made sure we'd gone to a gym with someone who'd actually dealt with people who'd been sick or who had Lyme disease before because, If you just go to anyone, they can't properly understand. You need someone who is going to understand Lyme disease or have some idea of like how much you can tolerate or what's going to be the best plan. Because like for people who I have spoken to who've had Lyme disease or from stories I've heard, it is very different for every person. There are some symptoms that are the same, but there are some that are very different and everyone's levels of what they can take or what they can handle is extremely, extremely different and dependent on that person.
1: Monica, we do want to confirm that we have had several podcast guests in the past, including uh, Julia Fagelman, whose podcast episode just launched today on our podcast, who went to Clinic St. George in Germany for treatment because they wanted to get into remission and receive treatments like hyperthermia. And Julia today is in full remission. She goes on hikes, she's able to work, and is back to her full life. So there is a lot of hope for people, um, especially yourself, if you're looking to get into full remission, that Germany can be a source to help you get into remission. But I do want to focus on that you have made major progress. So from the time you got diagnosed about two years ago to the present date, I think because of the help of this herbal protocol and this new herbalist, you have made some major, major progress. So give us an idea of what daily life is like for you today and how you're feeling today.
2: Uh, well, t- today uh, my life has actually been chaotic. So right now, t- technically speaking, if you take me back a few months ago, I should be in bed by now because I'm, I'm in the process of moving house So for now, my daily life has been, I've been waking up around 8 a.m., and very unusual. I don't need to waste an hour in bed till I feel capable to shower or eat food. I can actually get up and shower immediately if I want to, or I can take the time to stay in bed. So I'm getting up at 8 a.m. I'm kind of just taking my time a little bit but not too much. Then I'm showering, getting ready for the day, and then I'm going downstairs to get my tablets, which is a miracle because if my tablets are, were downstairs like months ago, they, they would have, I've had, I would have had to text my mom to bring them up to me so I could get my medication for the day. Um, I'm going up and getting up and going downstairs. Uh, I'm taking my food, because I actually have to eat food with a lot of my medication. And then I go back downstairs. I'm able to feed my dogs in the morning. I'm actually up early enough now that I can feed my dogs. That never would have happened. Sometimes I'm going out for walks with my mom and my dogs and then I'm packing I'm doing the shopping. I'm carrying really heavy boxes to and from cars, like a lot I've done about maybe 12,000 steps over the last few days. And I'm still standing. Like when, when we're done later on, I have to go do more stuff and more packing and, that's literally my life now. I'm literally functioning as a normal person. I find that around six, I still am getting tired. I still am feeling the effects of the tiredness, but I'm able to kind of fight through it more, which is really unusual for me. And I've gotten myself a sleep routine, which is also extremely, extremely unusual because I have terrible sleeping patterns and I'm kind of falling into bed around 10 or 11 and I'm actually still able to wake up at 8am, which is absolutely insanity for me this is like it's my mother can't believe it she's literally laughing she thinks I've just been able to do this a little bit longer and I was holding back a bit but um yeah so my daily routine is literally practically functioning like a normal person I'm getting up I'm cooking now I'm baking more these are all things I loved and had to give up I stream on twitch so I'm interacting with people for hours I do I find that twitch is quite tiring physically because you know you have to you have to talk to your viewers, you have to keep them entertained and stuff, and I'm living, I literally feel like I am living, I I still feel the tiredness, and the headaches, the Lyme headaches are still a bit of a problem for me, and I've been experiencing a lot of headaches lately, and I always, I always know when I have a real, like a regular, (laughs) regular headache and a Lyme headache, because a Lyme headache for me is when the pain comes down into my eye, and it's always my right eye, and um, the only thing that'll kill painkillers don't work. Nothing the only thing that ever kills a Lyme headache for me, I find, is sleep. So whenever I get the Lyme headache, I sleep and then the next day I wake up and I'm fine. There've only been like maybe two or three occasions where I've woken up the next day and the headache still hasn't surpassed. But yeah, I'm I'm functioning like a normal person. It's it's crazy. It's hard to believe and even reflect on it. Like I wasn't even thinking about it till now. <laughs>
0: So Monica, now that you're functioning like a normal person, uh, you're also reaching out to other folks in the community to try to give them support on their Lyme disease journey. Can you share with us what inspired you to turn to Instagram and other forms of social media to reach out to other folks going through Lyme disease journeys?
2: And actually, it kind of started around... First year, yeah, first year of college for me, I remember I, I had this idea that I wanted to start a blog and kind of share my my journey with lens i didn 't really follow through with it i 'm terrible following through with ideas, but it was kind of right then actually, and around the time my father got my diagnosis i 've always my whole life I always wanted to be an actress and I was really into acting, I loved it, but i I was way, way too shy and way too scared. And then I kind of, it sounds like a cliche, but I found something when my father got the cancer diagnosis, it was lung cancer. So I kind of knew like it wasn't going to be a good outcome. It was kind of like a realization of, oh my God, life really is too short. And at that stage, I'd started this uh, kind of like Instagram and blog page. And I actually went forward for an audition and it was just like, it was a student film and I'd, I'd gotten the lead in it. And it was like, after that, I started sharing more about it. And I actually started talking to this uh, person on Twitter who was con- who was actually sharing, definitely sharing more of her Lyme journey than I had because of all the doubt I'd gotten throughout my life. I was very shy. And I still, I, I wouldn't really talk about my Lyme because the biggest fear I've always had from what I dealt with is people wouldn't believe me. Cause even when you hear doctors saying Lyme disease isn't real, or you read articles or you see them posting online it is very scary because it 's like, how can you say this is not real i 'm living this, my symptoms are real, the pain is real, the exhaustion is real. There are thousands of people experiencing this, and you still say this isn 't real. like you can literally see people with it you know there 's tests that prove it 's real so i wasn 't talking about it as much, but I definitely when I met this person, she was actually the first one who told me that she was taking a lot of vitamins and herbs, and we were on similar medications, similar symptoms. And this kind of started to get me to feel a bit more comfortable and open up because I was like, oh, my God, there is someone who understands me. Like no one I'd ever spoken to had heard of Lyme's disease. They were asking me questions that I couldn't even answer because I still wasn't sure what was going on. And when I kind of done research, it scared the hell out of me. I remember reading it and I was like, oh, my God, I, I have this. This is my future oh no, like the, the one thing I always saw that really terrified me is if it's not caught early, you're stuck with this for the rest of your life. I remember reading that a lot and that was really what kind of turned me off doing more research because it was, it was depressing me. It was causing anxiety. Like when I started uh, the treatment and the realization of Lyme's disease, I started to develop severe anxiety and I was having panic attacks. And I actually remember when I just gotten my new puppy, I found a tick on her. And I touched and I freaked out. I was like, oh my God, it was like the scarcity. I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna have double Lyme disease. Like, what am I gonna do? You know, it was oh it was so scary. And um so yeah, after talking to this person, she kind of actually like really helped me through when I got on through my second Herxing. She was like really uh, supportive and explained what it was. Like I didn't even know it was called Herxing until I met her. She'd actually sent me some articles to read. So I learned what was going on because I remember I was explaining to my mom because no one could understand. I was like, she's on medication. Why is she getting sicker? This doesn't make sense. Again, there was no name to it. So there was no reason to, no one could understand it. And then when I got the name for the Herxing, I explained it. And then over time, so what transformed from the blog, turned to YouTube, and I started kind of doing unboxing videos, and there was always kind of mention of Lyme, and sometimes I'd share the odd post with a quote talking about my Lyme disease, but I wasn't fully opening up about it. And I remember then I just decided, like, I started planning in my head I was going to do, like, this video explaining Lyme's disease, talking about it, my experience, and then I kind of stopped myself because I was like, oh my God, what if people don't believe me? What if they start counting all these horrible things? And like a fear really, really took over me. And it was actually around the time that I got in contact with uh, Matt about this podcast and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this. Then I started to go through the depression and my father was getting sicker. I was really scared. So things obviously got delayed till where we are today. And so I was still doing the YouTube, that continued. And then it was actually when I started doing Twitch, I actually found myself talking about Lyme's disease a little bit more when I was streaming gaming because people were coming on and they were telling me about how sick they were. And I was like, oh my God, I understand. I go through this. And then at the same time, my best friend, she got a diagnosis for chronic illness as well. She was diagnosed with um, fibromyalgia. And a lot of those symptoms are actually quite similar to Lyme's disease. So it was like, oh my God, my best friend understands what I'm going through. I understand what she's going through. It kind of, it really strengthened our bond, understanding the exhaustion levels and being constantly sick all the time. And then, yeah, just as the whole thing kind of developed more into Twitch and stuff, I definitely felt more like talking about it, but there's still always that reservation as well, the fear of no one, Believing here, like the medical professionals, some of them don't believe you. Your family telling you you don't have Lyme disease. It's like, hold on, I have blood tests to tell me I have Lyme disease. It's it's real. I feel it. Um, but I definitely feel like after doing the podcast today with you guys, I know I probably am gonna talk about it more. But I think there'll always be a little part of me that's scared because there is always gonna be someone who isn't gonna believe you and they're gonna be loud about it. But I think it's kind of like about being comfortable enough to overcome yourself. As I was saying with the acting, like after my father passed, I actually ended up doing background extra work for a TV show on Netflix that hasn't come out yet. And it was like, it actually helped me realize my passion in life. So like even through all the horribleness of the Lyme journey, I've discovered my passion in life. So it hasn't been all doom and gloom. There was a lot of doom and gloom. There was a lot of horrible things I had to fight through to get people to believe me and realize that I was really, really sick. But there has been light at the end of the tunnel as well.
0: So now that you've come to understand what your gifts are and what your passion is, you're now trying to use those gifts and passion to help other people understand that they're not alone. And you're using a number of different social media outlets to do that. And I wanna thank you for doing that because it is important for folks to have support from folks who understand what it's like because it's very difficult for family members and it's very difficult for friends to understand
1: yeah. how
0: challenging it is. So thank you for doing that.
1: Mm-hmm. So let me,
0: let me ask you one more. Um, I'm going to make one more request of you before we let you go. And that is, if God forbid your mother came walking into your room right now and she had a tick biting her on her arm, what would you recommend that she do so she would not have to go on a terrible chronic Lyme disease journey the way you've had to go?
2: Well, first thing I I know I first thing I do I probably freak the hell out like oh my god she's bringing a ticket to my room no Um, then I definitely like grab some gloves get the tick put into something (laughs) just to keep it away from me because I don't want double Lyme disease which probably makes me sound like a stupid person but I really don't want double Lyme disease. i would tell her she is going to the hospital right now like bypassing doctors i don't care it's emergency room hospital like getting straight to the source even if we have to go find my doctor who's been doing a lot of press conferences he's been very busy with coronavirus we'll definitely go find someone who knows what they're dealing with gets the hospital immediately and not take no for an answer because if you take no for an answer you're kind of signing your own like Desert essentially, like, if you let this get out of control, well, not even if you let this get out of control, if you don't let people help you, you're going to be in a lot of trouble with this. It is something, like, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy to go through. It's, it's, it's a hell of experience, and it's a difficult one.
0: So, Monica, let me ask you one final question, because you brought up the concept of double Lyme disease or (laughs) getting reinfected, right? Reinfection is something that's a very important issue for folks who are on a Lyme disease journey to be aware of.
2: What steps, if
0: any, including tick checks, are you doing to make sure you don't get reinfected?
2: Uh definitely um avoiding areas that could have ticks or if like if the dog has a tick, I will not touch the dog because yeah, reinfection is something that I learned about and it scares the hell out of me. And I definitely think it is something you should be scared of because if you are not scared of it, you're not gonna take the necessary precautions to make sure you're safe. So even if we go to like um a new country, I will always check if they do have ticks there. And I will check my body, I will make sure there's no ticks on me. And if there is, I will make sure I got myself to a hospital immediately because I cannot repeat the last like 10 years of my life. Like, it's it's insane. I like even though I'm so young and I feel like I was robbed of my youth in a way, if I'd been older, I don't know how I would have managed then. So to definitely re-emission would be like from another bite would be horrifying. So yeah, definitely checking like countries I'm going to, checking long grass, checking animals, everything, just to make sure I don't have it, checking to make sure like if someone has a tick bite as well, that that extra precautionary level. And like, I I, would feel horrible if it made the person feel bad, but it's just, it's something you have to do. Like you have to protect yourself and getting remission with this would be lethal in my opinion.
0: Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our European guest, Monica. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Monica and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram page at ID underscore Monica's 123XX. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a tick by blueprint that has been inspired by information that has been provided to us by past guests on this podcast. We urge you to visit the website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view and download the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tech Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on iTunes or our website. Thank you for listening.